Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are If you're taking notes, go ahead and, and write this down. Part two, part two of what I believe is going to be many parts uh, to come. We call them parts, installments, whatever you want to call them. But this is the second one that we are going to be into. For those of you that are here today, maybe you didn't come last week. Maybe you caught it um, online later on during the week or you have no idea what's going on. We are in a series called Under the Sun, which is why we made these shirts that we're all wearing. Um, And it's based off the book of Ecclesiastes. We went through chapter 1 last week, and today we will be going into chapter 2. So as you write down part 2 of Under the Sun, go ahead and write down this subtitle, um, which is uh, the title specifically for this conversation that we're going to have today. And it's this, How Do I Find Happiness? How do I find happiness? Let's be honest, and I'm going to start with the honesty and transparency off the bat. How many of you have asked or have ran or have looked for that and said, I just wish I was happy in my life? You've gone through unhappy moments in your life. I just wish I had more happiness. How can I be happy? How many of you made decisions or you ran Two things, thinking that those things were going to make you happy. Surely, if I do this, I will be happy. All right? And uh, this message, obviously, as the Word of God does, relates to all of us. It really ministers to all of our hearts because, if we're honest, we've all been here. Some of us are here. And we're asking questions like this at church. I'm not satisfied. I'm continue to search for satisfaction. Look at me. I'm getting older. How can I be satisfied? How can I be happy? And then Solomon comes in in his writing in chapter 2, and he's going to help us answer this question of happiness. You know, we covered a lot of information um, in the introduction of our series. So I can't stress enough the importance of not missing or going back if you do miss and listen to the messages that you miss. Chapter 1 last week was very important because we covered some um, foundational things that you need to know to really understand the heart behind why Solomon writes this. The reason why we even believe it is Solomon who writes this. Um, So there's a lot in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 that is important for you to hear And uh, as we jump into chapter 2. I was reading online and, and doing some studying And I ran into, if you've ever uh, searched and gone to this website, it's a great website um, as a resource if you want it. If you have any kind of questions um, and stuff like that, it's called Got Questions. Um, I I forgot now if it's .com or .org. And you could ask questions and you could read and you could kind of see some of the scriptures that they give you um, for all the questions that you might have. But I love how it gives us this this explanation of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to read it to you. It says, the book of Ecclesiastes is a dark study of a life lived apart from God. Solomon looks back over his wasted years and finds no joy in them. Only futility, vanity, and chasing after the wind, as he says in Ecclesiastes, and he introduced that phrase to us in chapter 114. 
But he had learned his lesson, albeit the hard way, and he wraps up this book with this advice. How many of you remember this uh, last week? And hopefully we get to end every single Sunday with the end of the chapter, uh, the last chapter of his book until we get there. So he wraps everything up with this advice. Now all has been heard is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. That's found in chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. So this surely, as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes and we come to the end of chapter 12, that this is a man who we could say has returned to the Lord and has returned to trusting in God. Why do I say that? And, and I think that's an important statement because many people ask, and they ask me, especially as we were starting the book of Ecclesiastes, he was the wisest man, obviously, outside of Jesus, as Scripture says, to walk on earth. And, and, and he did so many great things for God, but there was, a, there was moments in his life and, and specific moments where he derailed and he just went off the, the track. And many people ask, did Solomon ever make his life right? Do you think that Solomon repented later on in his years? If you remember last week, I spoke about uh, Proverbs was probably written in the beginning of his years. Song of Solomon when he was middle-aged. And Ecclesiastes towards the end of his years, in his later years. So this is one reason in which I do believe that he most likely repented. And one day... In glory, in heaven, we're going to see Solomon again. I truly believe that as I study scripture. And we see that the book of Ecclesiastes could even be considered like a confessional book. Where he's just confessing his life in this book. And he's, it's a gift for us. So I would say that most likely he, at the end, he get, got his life right with his God. And I could share many other reasons and many other scriptures and why I believe uh, that Solomon most likely uh, will be our brother in heaven one day and we'll hang out with him. But besides that, I want to read like we did last week through Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I have the New Living in my hand today. If you have your ESV, if you have New King James, whatever you do, you could follow along. You could read it on the screen. You could listen uh, to my voice. But I'm going to just read through this and look at the importance of what he is saying through Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Sometimes the word just as it does, as you read it, it just starts to minister to you. Preach to you it's the message that it is. It says this. I said to myself, come on. <clears throat> Let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found too was meaningless or vanity. So I said, laughter is silly. It's foolish. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to... Cheer myself up with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness in this way, and I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. 
I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers. Both men and women had many beautiful concubines as well. I had everything a man could desire. If you remember, I said his net worth was around, if it was in today's day, Solomon's worth would be about $2 trillion. I would say he's pretty well off. So I became greater, verse 9, than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. Man of power, man of money. I denied myself no pleasure. Man of fun. Man of fun. I even found great pleasure in hard work. A reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was also so meaningless. Like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anymore. Highlight that verse. Highlight that. Very important what he's saying here. So I decided. I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king? I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all vanity, all so meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun. Our series title, our t-shirts, is so troubling. Everything is vanity. Everything is meaningless. Like, again, there's that phrase, like chasing the wind. Have you ever gone to chase the wind? I dare you. Next time the wind blows, chase it. See where it goes. It's going to mess with you. First off, you're going to look crazy. All right, here we go. Someone sees, oh, he's just chasing the wind. Obviously, this is a wordplay for what he was doing in his life. And he says this. Yet, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. Verse 18, and who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Who am I going to hand this stuff down to? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and my hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't even worked for it. You could see, right? He's venting. He's like, oh, I got some things to say about who I'm going to hand off all my work to. He says this, this too is meaningless. It's a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. 
Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all vanity. It is all meaningless. Hey, do not raise your hand. Have you worked so hard that at night your mind doesn't even rest? So I decided, verse 24, there is nothing better than to enjoy food and to drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. Listen to what he says. He's coming to an understanding as he closes up this thought. And he says this, for who can eat or enjoy anything, highlight this, underline this, apart from him. Apart from him. This just can't happen, he says. This is why I do believe that he is in the Lord at the end of his life. He says, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away, takes the wealth away, gives it to those who please him. This too is meaningless it's like chasing the wind. That's a, that's a good chapter. Chapter 2, under the sun, we're asking a question. How do I find happiness? You know, it's, people are searching for happiness. And you might be here like, I am. I'm searching for happiness. My friend is searching for happiness. And, and, and we could ask questions as we run towards this search for happiness, we ask these kind of questions. And we say, well, why do people drink, as he is speaking here of drinking, why do people drink to get drunk? And why do people uh, do drugs? And why do people party? And why do people dance? Not that there's anything wrong with that. Why do people go to comedy clubs? I'm, I'm going to make a point. Why do people become fans of, of sport teams? And they go to the games of these sport teams and if we were to answer that it's because they partake in these things because it makes them feel good for that moment it makes them feel good it makes them feel happy i, I thought about the teams and obviously coming today um whatever or what you know when our teams win when our teams win it, it gives us this sense of enjoyment excitement it, it it's funny in cities you know and in small towns specifically when their team wins. It's almost as if they take it like, our town is better than your town. Our city is better than... And, and, and we look at sports and it almost becomes like a rival between cities. Like I know Miami people that hate New Yorkers because of sports. And I'm like, you took it too far. You took the rivalry of sports too far. But they, but they look at the, at the Knicks. Or remember those years when the Knicks and the Heat were hanging off each other's feet and they had to kick each other. Those were real days. Punches would be thrown. Like Miami and New York people like really thought, this is personal. When I see a New Yorker, I'm going to fight him. Because there's a sense of like we belong to this. There's excitement. There's this joy. Our city is better. Our town is better. I ask these questions. Have you asked them before? Questions like, why does my wife love Hallmark movies? Things like that. You just have to ask those questions a lot. It just does something to them. For you men that love Hallmark movies too, God is good. And uh, we have men's this Wednesday at 7.30. But it makes her feel something. It makes... There's a joy that comes in it. Doing some of these things, it gives us excitement, happiness. It gives us satisfaction, joy, but... If we're really 
looking at this and, 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 and examining this, we could say, no, it, it never has ultimately fulfilled anyone. Because that good team, eventually, it does its, its circle, and they become a sorry team. Or that movie becomes old. Or that comedy club gets closed down, and that comedian, you guys get the point. And what happens is it doesn't ultimately fulfill. So we go again, and we do it again to find desirable feelings that we once felt when we first did it. And we search again, and, and we get drunk again, and we do that drug again, or whatever it is that people are chasing and doing. But let's look through this chapter and see how Solomon, he sets himself to search for happiness. He sets himself to search for satisfaction, for purpose. And you can be here, most likely, and, and you could be asking, how do I find happiness? Or maybe throughout this week, someone's going to come up to you and say, why are you so happy? And you're going to have the answer. And you're going to say, well, let me tell you what was just said on Sunday at our church. See, it wasn't in those men. And it wasn't in those women, in those ladies. It wasn't in our friends. I thought maybe having a family would do it. But nope. Not in family, it's not in any of those relationships with men and women, none of that stuff. It's not in your relational status. It wasn't in money, it wasn't in the career, in the house, and in the cars. You, you quickly saw that when you got your house and your cars and your amazing career, nope, it wasn't in your financial status. That's not where happiness is found. It wasn't in community. You, you began to build community and hangouts, recreational activities that you do. And nope, it was not found in your social status either. And then you, I, I could even dare to say this. I could even dare to say it wasn't in your church. You went to church. Definitely, it's got to be there. You started in ministry. You got into ministry. It wasn't in the church. You, you, you started to even serve. Oh, man, church, ministry. I started to serve. But nope, it wasn't in your religious status either. Not in my religious, not in my social, not in my financial, not in my relational. It's in none of these areas of my life. And then Solomon discovered what so many people fail to. And he's going to write in chapter 2 what it is. See, we try to achieve satisfaction. We try to find happiness, achieve happiness and purpose. And what we do is the way that I will finally be happy is if I organize the external things, start reorganizing my external. That's what I'm going to do. But the truth is that real purpose and meaning, happiness, it comes not from reorganizing your external things. Listen, it starts with doing an examination and looking at your internal lives and saying, I need to reorganize my internal life because that right there is much weightier and has much more purpose than the external things that I have gained around me. And the Lord takes all of us. If you have not been there yet, get ready. You're going to get there. That you will have to take time to search deep within and answer those questions about your internal state. And that's what the Lord wants to do. How do I find satisfaction? Today's message, how do I find happiness? Well, look at what Solomon says at the end of the chapter. He said this, I decided... In the same chapter, verse 24, <clears throat> that there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. I ate, I drank, and I worked. But then I realized 
that these pleasures are from the hand of God. It's God's blessings in my life. It's what Solomon is saying. And he says, for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? He comes to the understanding of all that I have. It's because of God's doing anyways. He says, God gives. Everyone say, God gives. He's the one that gave it to us. God gives. Why does God give? Because if you have wisdom and you have the intellect and the ability to make a lot of money, let's say, God gave you that ability. God gives. God gives wisdom and knowledge. In verse 26, he says, enjoy to those who please him. So we could come with one of my first points that I kind of want to stress here. And it's, well, definitely happiness must be found in this word that Solomon gives us. Happiness must be found in pleasure. It's got to be found in pleasure. My satisfaction, it's got to be in pleasure. Well, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I said to myself, the other translation may say it this way, I said to my heart, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was vanity. It was meaningless. Solomon, if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, and we answer this first point of surely, right, happiness is found in pleasure. Solomon tested the, the life, his, his life that he lived, a life that was lived for laughter, a life that was lived for pleasure, for fun. And if, if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see that Solomon was kind of like, in his day, like the modern day celebrities. I know you know what I'm talking about because many of you have social media and you follow them. They're constantly posting. One moment they're in a plane and they land in Dubai. And you're like, wow. And then the next moment they're in LA Lakers in, in the front row with their sunglasses on. I still don't understand that. I tried it the other day with Nancy. We went out to eat. And I said, I want to see why the celebrities do it. And I ate dinner with my sunglasses on. I don't get it. It's just too dark for me. And you see them in the front of the Lakers game. And then you blink on the next moment. And, and you look at the time frame at the top, and next thing you know, I don't know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're swimming with orca whales or something. <laughs> and these celebrities, they're bouncing from one thing to another. And like, ah, this life that they live. You know, it's crazy. You know that these celebrities become influencers because they give them, if you just wear my shirt, if you just... Talk about my makeup. Just because you follow, 20 million people follow you and they talk about it and boom, that company skyrockets and they make a million dollars for, for just promoting. I mean, can you imagine that life? Some of you are like, heck yeah, I want that. I don't mind that. And, and I look at the life of Solomon and he's like this modern, uh, like the modern day celebrities where he's running in, in chapter 2, if you read, read it with me, it's almost as if he's running from party to party, and he's riding like, hey, I went to a party, and I drank some wine with my friends, and then I went to this other party, and we danced, and then I went to this, and it's almost like I'm following Solomon on Instagram, and Solomon is like this modern-day celebrity as he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes, and he's, he's running from entertainment to entertainment, and at the end of all the parties, of all the laughters, of, of all the entertainment, at the end of it all, he judged it to be madness. <laughs> and he judged it to be without any kind of accomplishment. I just went 
to the greatest. I hosted some of the. Do you know who was at my party? And then he says, it's crazy. And it doesn't accomplish anything. Let's keep reading. Verse 2, he says, so I said, laughter is silly. It's foolish. What good does it do to seek this pleasure that I'm chasing? Surely happiness is found in pleasure. Remember that? After much thought, verse 3, I decided to cheer myself up with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched that foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. And then for sake of time, we're going to go down to verse 10. And anything that I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure, he says in verse 10. What are some of the things that Solomon highlights here? He highlights laughter. He, he highlights alcohol. He even highlights sex. He's highlighting these three things. Laughter, alcohol, sex. He starts talking about laughter. And he thought, well, laughter for sure, right? Don't we and don't people think like this? Surely laughter can cure everything. And he basically thought maybe that if I just laugh at life, I can make my unhappy life happy. There's people that live like that. If I could just not take life so serious and just laugh more at life and just laugh and be a person of laughter, always joking around, I could make that which is unhappy happy. But we have lived long enough to learn that everything in life is not a laughing matter. There comes a moment when, boom, we look at ourselves and we say, I can't laugh about this now. Not that laughter is bad. Laughter is actually very good. I'll quote a scripture now for you. But yet, laughter cannot define your life. Because not everything is laughable. What happens with laughter is this. As I talk about this internal thought of what laughter can be, sometimes what it does is it masks the pain. And people are showing themselves to be something, but then they go home or they're in the quiet of their own mind and deep down inside, they're not laughing anymore. What's going on inside of their heart is there's a lot of pain in there. Wait, every time I hang out with you, you're so cool. And you're so much fun to hang out with. And you wish that those statements were true at times, don't you? Because sometimes it hides that there's pain. Anyone with me? I mean, we just know people like that. And that's what laughter does. And that's what Solomon is doing. Can't get mad at me. I'm just reading through Solomon's writings. But it's a great reminder for us. Remember last week? It's not to be mean to you, but it's like a father warning children, saying, listen to my advice as an old man. Proverbs 17, 22 is a great example for some of you guys that thought about laughter. It does say that a cheerful heart is good medicine. So it's good to be cheerful and filled with laughter and all these things. But laughter, like the joking to hide the pain within, does not get anyone anywhere. And guess what? It does not fool God. It doesn't fool God. Then he doesn't just speak about laughter. He goes into this conversation about wine, and he begins to introduce alcohol. Well, surely wine would lift me up and lift me up from my depression. You know how many people drink because in reality they're depressed? Or they drink to numb up what's really real and going on in their lives? 
So King Solomon says, definitely if I drink some wine, if I get consumed by some alcohol, it will lift me up from my emptiness. It will lift me up maybe from a point of depression that someone can be in. But we know that never, it never drowns out one's sorrows, one's problems. Never does it do that. Yes, when one becomes sober for that moment, for the height of that, it feels good maybe. Um, Before they become sober, the height of that stuff, it feels good. But once that sober kicks in and the high is removed, the problems are still there. And you still have to go into that home. You still have to go to that job. You still have to go to that family. And you say, I can't run from my reality. Solomon is giving us some good pointers here, guys. So if you're using alcohol to treat your symptoms of emptiness, if you're using alcohol, I'm telling you today that you're going to learn just like Solomon did in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, hey, it's never the answer because when the alcohol dwindles off, your problem will still be there. Are you guys getting this? What's what's, what's, What's the question we're asking today? Amando, thank you for listening today. How do I find happiness? And that's what he's doing. He's defining. Alcohol. Laughter. Party animal. Everyone has a good time around me. Then he says, I will deny myself nothing. And he begins to speak about his sexual appetite. I read this quote, and I want to share with you. It's going to come up on the screen. You should write it, maybe. It says, how many are there that have died of the wound in the eye? And he thought, definitely, my eye sees what's good. I deny myself nothing. And we've learned in Scripture, we've learned even in our church at times past, that sex is a gift from God. I get it. Even for the young people that are in this service, you're here. That means you're growing up to become an adult, and you need to learn some things from us adults. And here it is, because some of us are adults are still learning this, that yes, sex is a gift from God, but it's to be enjoyed for pleasure. And as Scripture teaches us, procreation, right, to have children within the context of marriage between, as Scripture teaches us, between a man and a woman. And we learn that in Scripture. But what has happened in this world is that many have gone the way of the culture. Many are looking for pleasure and joy and fulfillment that this world offers. But guess what happens as we're doing this? And Solomon says, I did not stop myself from denying myself from any kind of pleasure. You know what happens? When they go and they're around and they're doing the things that the culture does and what everyone says it's normal, just bask in it. I'm here to tell you what Solomon comes to understand. It will never deliver. Because when that high is gone, you're going to go searching for it again. That is why Solomon, even later on, he writes what? Enjoy. Enjoy, and I want to be very respectful, but enjoy the, the woman of your youth. Enjoy your bride. And he begins to describe the bride and what she is. And I'll leave that there. You could read Song of Solomon. The Samaritan woman at the well comes to Jesus in the New Testament and says, hey, I want to be right. I want to do well. I want." And he says, go tell your husband. Come on. What does the woman say to Jesus? I have no husband. And he's like, 
and neither were the last six. You've had a few dozen men you've been with lately. I've been around the world and I, I you know what I'm talking about. And, and she comes and, and she's looking for water and Jesus says, grab your dude, grab your man. And she's like, which one? And, and there's a reminder at that well, as there's a reminder in the book of Ecclesiastes, that none of the men that you've been with have done anything for you. Did you not notice it after number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, and number six? And you could go down. A woman or a man will never fulfill that void that's inside of you. At the end, it leads to nothing. I know Nancy sitting here says, that's not true. I found you, Rigo, and all that stuff. But she needs to be reminded of that. She needs to be reminded of that. I'm sorry. It's, you know, it's, it's nothing. It does nothing for me. I wrote this down. Your sex problem is actually a problem of not finding fulfillment in him. That's man's sex problem. And when I say man's, man and women's sex problem. It's not finding fulfillment in him. Whatever King Solomon's eyes would desire, whatever pleasure he had on his heart, he would say in verse 11, I know you're with me, come on. He says, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really, come on, worthwhile anywhere. I really hope as we're getting now, we're going to get into some good stuff. It's not like, defl- like I almost felt this in my ears. I heard this. Like I felt like a balloon just deflating. I'm not doing We're blowing helium into your balloon. Because we're going we're gonna to present to you the greatest. I mean, we're going to present to you Jesus. Amen? And trust me, he's better than him. Trust me, he's better than her. Trust me, he's better than chasing money. Trust me, he's better than the party. So I'm not sucking air out of you. We're blowing helium. Go fly and be the person you're called to be. Amen? All right, I'm giving you hope. Not leaving you hopeless. All right. How do I find happiness? Is the question we're asking today. Point number one, what was it? Happiness is found in my Pleasure. What's the answer? Solomon said, nah, I've done everything. Trust me. If there's anyone. Listen, if, a, if you are worth $2 trillion, trust me, there is no boundary and limit for the ends of the earth of how you could find and search for pleasure. And with his trillion dollars, he did the homework and he says, I spent all my money, a lot of it. And none of the pleasures fulfilled ultimately. What's the next thing? He says, oh, maybe, right? My happiness, my satisfaction, it's not in pleasure. Maybe it's in in measuring, measuring everything that I've done from pleasure to measure. Maybe it's in looking at everything I've done. What do you mean? Verse 4, he says, I tried to find meaning by building by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens, parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs. Listen, I just try, not me, we, uh, ants. We, we just, we're a team, we're one, the two become one. We just try to make one plant survive in my house. 
and it's a struggle. One plant to live. Just we, There's three, but I mean, some of them are barely, right? No, they're doing good. All right. He's like, I've built parks, and I filled them with trees and reservoirs to collect water to irrigate my many flourishing vineyards which, and groves. I mean, we see where he's drinking his wine from, his own backyard. I bought slaves, men, women, and other so who were born into my household, I, was, I owned large herds of flocks. That's almost like saying, I have a garage for all my cars. He's like, I have all kinds of flocks. If you remember last week, what did he ship in just for fun? Yeah. What, oh, it's, it's your 10th birthday. I got you. I'm going to bring some gorillas and peacocks for your birthday. Like, that's how rich you are. I remember when I went. No, I'm not going to do that. When Shaq's house had camels, remember that? When I tell that story? Ernie was with me. In Shaq's backyard, Shaq had camels in his backyard. We'll tell that story later. Most of you know it. It's not a pleasurable story, but. Solomon couldn't find happiness. He couldn't find satisfaction in all of his accomplishments. Listen to this. He says, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me, I did all these things. And it's not telling us that it's, it's not good to, oh, you shouldn't work so hard. That's not what the Bible's telling us. The scripture is not saying to work hard is bad. So don't go home today and say, I think I'm going to resign. I think I'm going to retire. No, no, no. You took it out of context. I think I'm just going to be lazy. No, no. Scripture is not telling you to not work hard or to desire even for your work to be great. If you put anything to work, you should be and want to be the greatest at what you do. Anyone can say amen? If Adrian has a yard, he should have the best gym in the world. And if you're an accountant, you should be the greatest accountant in Miami. And if you sell houses, you should be the greatest person at selling homes. Like whatever you do, I want to be the greatest. It's not a bad thing to be the great at what you do. It's definitely not a bad thing. But the Bible teaches us even against being lazy. What are you trying to say? Not do much? God wants to make us successful. And I think that as we read scripture, we we know the answer. He wants to make us successful all for his glory. This is a warning though. A warning to find fulfillment, purpose, identity. Not in what you do, but in rather who God is. When you are the greatest person in selling homes or building a gym or building a church, whatever it may be. When that, when that thing becomes greater than who God is, that thing became a drug and it's dangerous in your life. Are you with me? And that's what Solomon is saying. It's not that it's bad, it's that be careful. If you don't find satisfaction in God, your work will consume you. Ever been consumed by work? It will be your identity. And many have made their jobs, their careers, their idols. Ending always, as Solomon comes to tell us, always ending in dissatisfaction. Solomon, you want happiness. He's searching for happiness. It's not in all you've done. It's not in all you've accomplished. Find purpose in the Lord and you will be happy is what he's saying. And you will be satisfied. Let's read. He says in verse 18. Listen to this. He says, I came to hate all my hard work on earth. I must leave to others everything I've earned. Who can tell me whether my successors will be wise or foolish? What is he saying? I don't even know if I give it to my sons. Or if I give it to the, to the person that's under me. Are they going to do good with what I've built? And he's, he's, he's perplexed about this whole issue. What do, what do people get in this life for all their hard work? And he's asking these questions in verses 18 
through 23, and then we come to verse 11, and we keep going back to that verse, and he says, it's all so meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. There is nothing really worthwhile anywhere. And then he says in verse 24 and 25, I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food, drink, find satisfaction in work. And then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him. How many of you can say amen? How do I find happiness? Come on, answer that question. It's not in measuring all my accomplishments and it's not in all the pleasures. And here's the third point. And here's my last point and it's this, write this down. Maybe, maybe happiness and satisfaction is in the treasure. Treasure for sure. Verse 8 says, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings. I hired singers, men and women sang. And I had many beautiful concubines off, off away from my 300 wives. We did the math last week. We said Solomon had a thousand women. And then he comes, a man with a thousand women says, I had everything a man could desire. I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem. The problem is not having money. Solomon is basically saying the problem is when money has us. One pastor puts it this way, money makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And that's what Solomon says, I grab all my treasure, and it didn't do well. If you learned last week, and I'll read the scripture again, look at this scripture, 1 Kings 10, 27. He says, and the king, Solomon, made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. Can you imagine that for a moment? Go outside and you can pick up 100 stones. Solomon was so rich that he flooded the market with silver to the point that in Jerusalem it didn't have any worth. There was so much silver. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we're not there, we'll be there in a few weeks. It says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is all vanity. Solomon is saying, it's not in my pleasure, it's not in measuring all my accomplishments, and it's not in all the riches that I have. It's not in my treasure. I want to share some statistics, and I'm coming to an end. Listen to this. Here are some statistics in our culture today. In the, fa in the last 50 years, the average size house in America has tripled. And yet Americans have more of their possession in storage units than any other country in the world. Think about that. Here's another one. There's enough square footage in storage buildings in America for every man, woman, and child to stand on the roof. There are more shopping malls in America than there are high schools. American children make up 3.1% of the population of the children of the world. 3.1. But they own more than 40% of the toys in the world. Americans discard an average of 65 pounds of clothing annually, and that is true. 
Americans spend more money every year on shoes, jewelry, watches than they do on even college education expenses. Verse 11, but as I looked at everything, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Where under the sun, where do I find happiness? And he says, it's worthless. It's not worth your time anywhere under the sun. I ask you this question, where do you stand under the sun? I I thought this would be fun, but very sad. I read an article from Time, Time Magazine, how the winning lottery makes you miserable. I know, when I read it, I said, I want to see if that's true. <laughs> I re- my flesh did that. I mean, come on. I can't come up here and be like, hey, today I'm going to go walk on water. I read the article and says, Lord, test me in that. <laughs> and see that my heart will not fail you. Anyone with me? This is the stuff that gets clipped and then says, that's why I don't go to the next church. It is said that in a study of everyone that has won this lottery, about 70% of people who suddenly receive this windfall of cash lose it within a few years. We've heard stories like that. There's a man by the name of Jack Whitaker, and he was quoted for saying, I wish that we had torn the ticket up. Listen to this. Jack Whitaker was a millionaire when he already won $315 million in a lottery in West Virginia. I'm like, God, why would you do that? He's a millionaire already. <laughs> the then 55-year-old West Virginia construction company president claimed that he went broke after four years later and lost a daughter and granddaughter to drug overdose which he blamed on the curse of the Powerball win. And he said this in an interview in ABC News. He said, my granddaughter is dead because of the money. He told ABC, you know, my wife had said she wished that she had torn the ticket up. Well, I wish that we had torn the ticket up too. Whitaker was also robbed for $545,000 sitting in his car. What was he doing? While he was at a strip club eight months after winning the lottery. I just didn't like Jack Whitaker, he said. I don't like the hard heart that I got, and I don't like what I've become. There's another man by the name of Abraham Shakespeare. Not sure if this one's, like, with that name, I had to, like, I don't know, Abraham Shakespeare. I could have come up with a better name, but he's, he's supposed, he's a, you can look him up, he's a true guy. He says, I've, I've been better off broke, Abraham said. He was murdered. After in 2009, after he won $30 million, the lotto jackpot, the 47-year-old Florida man was shot twice in the chest, buried under a slab of concrete in a backyard. D.D. Moore, who said that was a, was a friend of Abraham's, saw him after his lotto win, who was, Abraham found guilty of first-degree murder in 2012. His brother, Robert Brown, told the BBC that Shakespeare always said he regretted winning the lottery. I had been better off broke, he said, that he had... He said that to me, he said that to me all the time, his own brother said to him. I, I wish I'd never won this. Look what it's doing to my life. 
Donna Micken said, my life has hij- was hijacked by the lottery. She won $34.5 million in the New York State Lottery in 07. She said that the big win ruined her life and led to emotional bankruptcy. Most of us think that winning the lottery is the ultimate fulfillment, but I found that wasn't the case, she wrote. Most people look at winning the lottery as some magic pot of gold waiting for you at the end of the rainbow. The Long Island woman said she considered herself a happy person before the win. When we won the lottery, my inner dialogue was manic. I became more concerned about how I was being judged and perceived, not realizing I was the one doing the judging in the first place, she wrote. If you ask me, my life was hijacked by the lottery. No one, no one, none of these people are happy. Then I thought about it. Luke 12, 15, Jesus' very own words. He says, watch out. And worship, I'm going to close. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I read this from a pastor, and I want to share this as he gave a commentary from Solomon's life. He says this, please listen as I'm ending. He says, Solomon was not saying, and the pastor says, and neither do I say, that Christians are the only happy people in the world and that those who don't know God and don't go to church and don't have a relationship with Christ, that they can't possibly be happy or they can't possibly be successful. That's nonsense. What I am saying, however, and what I believe that Solomon was communicating from his own life experience is that we might find a measure of happiness and contentment and pleasure in the world apart from God, but it will not be lasting. Every human being has a God-shaped hole in their heart because without God, there will be a constant gnawing, nagging, and realization that something is missing. And he says, if that's you, it's probably the case that the Lord needs to be supreme in your life. Knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior will be the only thing that will bring ultimate satisfaction for your soul. How do I find happiness? Under the sun, how do I find happiness? Well, today, this is what we've done today. We found out that it wasn't in pleasure. We found out that it wasn't in measuring all of my success and all of my accomplishments, Solomon says. And number three, finding happiness. It wasn't in all the treasure and all the riches that I have. I end chapter 2, Solomon almost says to us this way. And I end it with you today this way. Without God, without God, who? Who can find enjoyment? Without God. Who thought that the answer to happiness would be that easy? We read 
that you could win $100 million and your life can still be taken from you? How did that guy not pay for bodyguards? It was his time. You could give your kid all the riches in the world, but he lost his granddaughter and daughter with drugs. You can make a resume of everything you've built and you could give an explanation with everything that you've done and you did not deny yourself in whatever pleasures that might be. And you could go online and show everyone all the treasures that you have saved. But thank you, Lord, that Solomon in his writing, inspired by your spirit, is teaching us that under the sun you will learn that lasting satisfaction and happiness is under the sun. It's under Christ. He says in chapter 12, verse 13, and I will repeat it again to you, the end of the matter the end of the matter, at the end of his book, as he writes 12 chapters worth of material, he says, everything has been heard. I've measured my life. I've examined deep within. I've searched. Everything has been heard. At the end of the matter, fear God. Keep his word. Fear God. We'll end for the next month with this verse. This is going to be the verse of the year to remember. If you don't memorize it by the time we're done with the series, I don't know what to tell you. But the end of the matter is fear God and keep his commandments, keep his word. That's the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. And you could say, why? Why? Because at the end, he says, for God will bring every deed into judgment. Every secret thing. Whether it's good, whether it's evil, it will all stand before him. So if I were you, Solomon says, learn from this old man. I've had all the riches. I've had all the fun all the excitement and I have the bank account that people dream to have look at everything that I've done under the sun but I could only leave with telling you this Solomon says fear God all the days of your life keep his word for this is the duty of every single man fear him keep his word because the rich and the poor, the one in the penthouse and the one under the bridge, all will stand before God one day. How are you going to live under the sun? Huh? Under the sun. You found happiness today, church.